All right, we are here with uh, a very eventful week for the Mets and Jets and, and the Knicks to some degree, but Mike Dubin here along with Matt Dubin. Happy to be here. Episode 8 of the 37 Years Podcast, and what a week in the news for our teams that it's been, and I guess where we start is with the Jets, and I guess the big news is the signing of Wes Schweitzer as an offensive <laughs> lineman now. The big news, obviously, we'll talk about Wes Schweitzer. That does look like a good signing. The big news, which was a positive, but yet a, I guess, put us a little little anxiety, a little bit of uh, uncertainty, was the Aaron Rodgers news. So the Aaron Rodgers wants to play for the Jets. It's it's a great, great potential thing, but um, it turns out the deal isn't done yet. So, Matt, what are your thoughts on where this stands and, and, and the, the feeling about it? So, very interesting situation. He went on the Pat McAfee show. He talked about his darkness retreat for a little bit, a bunch of other extraneous information, but then was like, oh, I want to go to the New York Jets. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. So excited about Aaron Rodgers and his impending you know, trade. But it's weird because we're in, like you said, dad, we're in this middle ground right now where nothing's actually happened yet, but he's sort of executed his intentions. So we're going to have to see what, what everything, how it's going to play out. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting because we thought, you would thought when they made the trip out to California, the ownership and the coaches, that this was a done deal. That they had, or you know, like when you heard about Derek Carr going to New Orleans, originally when they were going to do it as a trade, New Orleans and the Raiders had worked out a trade if Derek Carr was going to go to them. Derek Carr decided to wait to free agency. He talked to the Jets. He talked to some other teams. He ended up going to New Orleans and they didn't have to trade for him. So it was like no harm, no foul. The assumption was that the, that when we were in this period of silence last Monday, Tuesday, and into Wednesday, that they were working out the deal and they were gonna he was gonna go and Pat McAfee announce, you know, I'm going to the Jets and I'm traded to the Jets. And then we find out they're still working the deal. And now we're in this sort of weird in-between period that I think only the Jets can do, causing a lot of tension for people on Twitter and everything. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a weird tension because with the Packers, they clearly want to move on. Rodgers was saying there was that 90-10 coming back retiring split, but he thought the Packers were going to welcome him back. But I think he's kind of realized that since emerging from his darkness retreat that the Jets were the were the better option. But it's weird. And in speaking of who has leverage here, I think the Jets weirdly have leverage. And some people may agree, some people may not agree. But the Jets, it's his clear intention to come to the Jets. The Packers have said they they want him kind of they want to move on from him and start the Jordan Love era. So it's really a matter of time, and I think the Packers, they don't want to mess up their team chemistry and everything like that. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, they don't, they don't want Aaron Rodgers hanging around. They don't want to pay him money. They, they, want, they should want to move to Jordan Love. Now here, you know, we, we've seen on TV and the news all the different sort of scenarios, whatever. But here's what I think is the big thing, for the, if I'm the Packers. I want draft picks, regardless of where they land, in this year's draft. Even if there's some in next year's draft, too. And if you're going to get any players involved, you want it now. If the Packers wait till June because, like, the salary balloons and there's all these different things, they're not going to get a pick in this year's draft. 
So that's not to their advantage. The second thing is, I think they want Aaron Rodgers sort of off the team completely. And the immediacy of the picks, like you were saying, I think is important because when you're executing a rebuild, and I think Joe Douglas has done this incredibly well and could be a model they follow even with the Packers, but you you need like draft capital accumulation now and not for the future. Like, I mean, when you have a quarterback who you're trying to get on his feet, taking a tackle, taking someone who can, you know, build those pieces with him is important in the immediacy of right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the tricky part here is, you know, and you, you don't know what to believe and there's all these different rumors, is the question of will the Jets give up their first round pick this year? I, I don't think so. And the reason, if you've looked at past player comps and past deals that have been executed, but also just like common sense, it's it's a, the, the 13th pick, which I believe the Jets have this year, is incredibly valuable in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And the Packers kind of know that Aaron Rodgers has diluted his value to them just because it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm choosing between the Packers and the Jets, but it's like, I'm going to the Jets I am doing that. You have no say in this. So the Packers' hands are kind of tied with the draft compensation. To me, it looks like maybe second rounder, a third rounder. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk. You brought up something interesting, though, about the Packers' hands being tied. So the Packers don't have really a choice but to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. And the only team that seems to want him is the Jets. Yeah. You know, everyone else is sort of aligned with a quarterback. The Jets, on the other hand— really don't have any choices beyond Aaron Rodgers other than if they did the Hail Mary for Lamar Jackson. Every single quarterback just about in the market is taken, even like the Jacoby Brissett's who went to Washington and Baker Mayfield going to Tampa Bay. There is like really nobody. Now, people were upset, and we'll talk about this in a little with Mike White going to Miami because the other issue is the only quarterback on the Jets roster now is Zach Wilson. And no one really wants Zach Wilson to play. The QB2 situation's precarious because in the event that Rodgers, he's going to be 40 years old this year, and then the inevitability that he comes to the Jets, you really don't want Zach Wilson being your backup. And I think the Jets are going to have to figure something out yeah. with well, that. They could, they could get a you know sort of middle-of-the-road guy to be the like immediate backup. It would have been nice but not practical to keep Mike White. But I think the issue with Mike White, he was probably from a salary standpoint just a little too much. But there could be like a, you know, Brian Hoyer type out there or even one of the guys that's run through San Francisco that could be the emergency backup. Because like like you're right, Aaron Rodgers could miss a game, you know, and, and we don't want that. But the, the more immediate thing, I think that's like for June or July is how do we get Aaron Rodgers in the building, working with the team, throwing to the receivers, coming to the OTAs? I think if he's going to give this his full shot and they're going to pay him $60 million, he should be part of the offseason workouts. So I think in speaking to that, Joe Douglas, there is a sense of urgency because even building team chemistry, even if he, we're bringing in guys like we could, we're going to talk about soon, like Lazard, who he has a rapport with, there's still a bunch of guys who he doesn't know who he needs to kind of get thrown to. And I think Joe Douglas needs to really get on this and really be like, you know, the inevitability of, yeah, we, we got to do this now. This is inevitable. Let's do it. Yeah. So let's, I'm going to make a prediction where I think this trade will land. I think this trade will happen. And this may be crazy before the end of March. 
I think it will be a number two pick this year and a conditional number two or three next year that moves up whether they make the playoffs or not and maybe the Super Bowl. Maybe it moves from a three to a two if they make the playoffs and a one if they make the Super Bowl. And I wouldn't be shocked if a player like a Corey Davis or Elijah Moore are included also, which based on you know some of the things that have gone on, um, I think that's like the right level of trade for this. But I do think there's really an urgency for both teams to get this going. And as Jet fans, we don't want to be in this endless anxiety of when's he coming. We don't want this to turn into like a summer of Donovan Mitchell and then it never happens kind of thing, which I don't I think this is different. But I think that is not where we want this to land. Not at all. And I think even like you were saying, we want it to be something that happens sooner rather than later and really just something where everybody can can fit in together and start practicing. Yeah, so so Aaron Rodgers, we will obviously keep tabs on that. So they made a few other free agent signings this year, um, and I th- this year, this week. Uh, Alan Lazard, you mentioned, mm-hmm. I think that's a great move. Great move. Four years, $44 million, which is a bit of an overpay, but like he gels well with Rodgers. He's a good guy. It's he's a big receiver, which I like. I think Rodgers especially will fit well with Garrett Wilson and presumably Elijah Moore in the slot. So it's it's a good move. I like it. Four years, you know, it's a it's a little yeah. little much. But uh, yeah, I but I think it. they needed to get one of those guys that Aaron Rodgers said. You know, I've heard that Odell Beckham is interested. Could be interesting. Yeah. You know, add him to the mix. That would be great. Lazard, very solid receiver. Had catches, touchdowns. He he profiles well to complement the other Jets receivers. So that was a good move. They did. We brought up Wes Schweitzer before. They're trying to fortify the offensive line. They brought in a few guys who are mid-level guys, but that's the right kind of move for them, I think. The the Jets are trying to get their interior offensive line fortified, the center position specifically. They're, they're bringing a bunch of guys in, and I think they're trying. Even the draft, they're considering. I've, I've heard mumbles of, you know, the later rounds bringing a guy in at, at that interior position, but it remains to be seen who will emerge from that group. But I think Joe Douglas, he's very he was an offensive lineman himself. Yeah. He's very shrewd with these moves, so I have full faith in him. Right. Now on the defensive line, they lost Sheldon Rankins. They lost a few other sort of small pieces. He's the biggest one. They did bring back Solomon Thomas on a one-year contract. There's someone like Calais Campbell, Calais Campbell from uh, the Ravens. That would be perfect. Calais Campbell would be perfect. He is a beast on the interior. His pass rush moves are unbelievable. Losing Rankins hurts. I think the interior defensive line was the strength of the Jets. And it still will be. It's I still, mean, it's still Solomon, have a lot of guys. Yeah, yeah, and Solomon Thomas is, like, really a great guy and just knows the system really well. He's a big Robert Sala guy, so that was a good depth. Yeah, and I don't back. think we've seen the last moves there. I mean, they still may bring – you know, the, some of the guys they have are very – interchangeable on the interior line the Mac the um what's his face Max Mitchell and a few other love guys. Max Mitchell yeah, I thought he had a great rookie year before yeah, he got hurt yeah so the, there's a lot of guys there and then on the you know there's still some needs on they also brought back and I, I don't want to 
make light of this. They brought back Thomas Morstead as the punter, who had been the punter for the Jets a few years ago. Went, went to Miami is a big improvement over Braden Mann, though, I think. So. Great, yeah, great addition for Morstead. I saw the Twitter picture. And so they re-signed Zerline as the kicker and Morstead. That's, those are two good moves. Still need help on the O-line, which will probably come from the draft and maybe a free agent. Safety, they, they got Chuck Clark from the Ravens before. And linebacker, there's still some things they can do there. I know they're going to probably restructure some contracts. It looks like they're going to bring back – maybe they'll bring back Quan Alexander, who was a nice – nice had a nice season for them uh, this year. But I want to just give a little perspective because when we look at the Jets, we look when Joe Douglas took over. Joe Douglas took over after the 2019 draft in the summer. So the first roster he had – I mean, I just want it now. And I will tell you, this team finished seven and nine in 2019, but it was deceptive seven and nine because they won a lot of games at the end of the season after the uh, after this after the uh, season was sort of over. The quarterback room was Sam Darnold, Trevor Simeon, David Fales, and Luke Falk. Oof. I mean, so now we don't have any quarterbacks on the roster right now other than Zach Wilson. So. We shouldn't be talking. Sam Darnold just got a nice contract from San Francisco mm-hmm. to be bridge guy for them. But the running backs were a washed-up Le'Veon Bell. Bill Alpau was at the end of his career, and they had guys like Trenton Cannon and Josh Adams. The receiver, the top receiver was Robbie Anderson, Braxton Berrios. Um, they had, at that time, Quincy Anunua was their high-paid receiver. Ryan Griffin at tight end. So you you know you see the the Travis Wesco, you see the big comparisons here, Matt. And and we can go on and on on the offensive line. Basically, people you wouldn't have heard of in defense. You know they had Jamal Adams, which they turned into something. And then uh, no one who was still on the team except for Quinn and Williams on the defense. So Joe Douglas has done a really nice job last year's draft being the capstone, but. I think we should be happy for the work he's done and trust in him for the future. Yeah, looking at the comparison of this 2019 team to now, it's just remarkable the upgrades at every position, and specifically two areas. The offensive line was a bunch of no-names and a bunch of late-round guys, and the defensive backs, even though they had Jamal Adams, Tremaine Johnson was a massive overpay. Oh, and he didn't that was do anything. from McCagnon, though. That was yeah, that was. I mean, they had a lot of guys who were just kind of dead weight guys. Yeah. yeah. So, so we have a lot to be happy for. I guess is the message there. So, let's uh, cross our fingers on Aaron Rodgers. We'll, I'm sure we'll see some other small moves. Let's just take a minute uh, talk about some of these other teams who made moves. The Dolphins felt like it was important to bring everyone from the Jets to mm-hmm. Miami. So. Braxton Berrios, Mike White, and Dan Feeney, among others. What is your thoughts there? Yeah, Berrios was expendable because of some of the other wide receiver moves they were going to make. Mike White, tough to lose him, but they paid him, I think, two years, like $16 million, something like that, yeah. or $20 million. And Dan Feeney was more of a rotational piece, so really not that much loss from the Dolphins. Yeah, um, the Patriots also went on a signing binge. Juju Smith-Schuster, who... Other than the Super Bowl, didn't really do too much in Kansas City. Mike Gusecki, who uh, is more famous for his dancing than it is for anything else. And then they signed James Robinson to a two-year contract, which was a curious signing because the Jets had him in-house in, in the second half of the season and didn't even play him. 
So it was, yeah, weird, weird signings for the Patriots. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster, fine. Gasecki, okay. And and James Robinson really was supposed to be a spark for the Jets when they had the um, Brees Hall injury, but he really didn't do much. So it's like, whatever, I guess. Yeah. So I think that was, you know, the Patriots to me are, are still a team that's going to need to find themselves. I think the last one, that team that I thought was interesting related to the Jets was that the Bengals signed Orlando Brown from the Chiefs on the line. And that was someone who I thought the Jets could use. Orlando Brown is very good. Just a great overall lineman. The Bengals got a great, I mean, the Bengals have sometimes like stayed away from signing. So it's actually surprising they shelled out the money for this. Yeah. But it's, he's a good player. And I think the Jets could add him, but they'll have to figure something yeah, else so, out. So I think, you know, just one last word on the football. I'm very excited about Aaron Rodgers coming to the Jets. I think it's going to happen. I think what we're going to see once it happens, and I'm hoping it happens before the draft because you want it to happen before the schedules come out for next year because I think we're going to see the Jets on some Monday night football, Sunday night football, Thanksgiving, and games that they haven't really high-profile TV games, which uh, we haven't seen them in for a long time, which makes it very exciting. And honestly, it puts them right in the mix, you know, because it looks like they're going to run it back with the same defense and – um, I think the offense will only be better with Aaron Rodgers. Completely agree. And I think the Rodgers move will happen sooner rather than later, like I said before. And the Jets, it's exciting. I think the Jets haven't had this much momentum in, in years since the AFC Championship appearance days. So looking forward to a renewed uh, excitement and enthusiasm around the Jets. Yes. So there's our uh, Jets. Now we'll be back in a minute and we'll talk about uh, the next bit of anxiety, which was the Mets' Edwin Diaz uh situation and how they can uh, make up for that. And we'll also get into little Knicks and, and NCAAs. Back in a moment. Okay, we are back. And the other big news this week, besides Aaron Rodgers, was the Mets and Edwin Diaz injured during a celebration in the World Baseball Classic. A uh, very exciting game, and uh, his team over-celebrated, similar to the Kendry's Morales injury about 10 years ago at home plate that sidetracked his career. And I mean, and we'll talk about the implications of this. Obviously, the good news for a pitcher wasn't his arm that was injured, but the bad news is it's probably going to put him out for the whole season. And combine that with the Jose Quintana news that he's going to be out for at least half the season. The Mets took some blows this week. But let's start with the Diaz thing, which is the biggest one. The Yankees, someone brought this up to me. It was interesting. In 2012, if you remember, Mariano Rivera was injured. And uh, he was actually, I think, going to retire that season and actually played an extra season because he had an injury like in May. He He... And the Yankees um, scrambled a little bit, but it turns out they they used an internal option of Rafael Soriano, who was a little bit of a journeyman, who got 42 saves that that year on a team that won 95 games. They didn't fare well in the postseason, but he left as a free agent next year. Now, the interesting connection to that team and the Mets of 2023 is that David Robertson was the setup man in that team. So when you look at the Mets, they have some internal options that can fill the gap. And I think it's going to have to be all hands on deck. I don't think it's going to be, you know, one guy, but certainly David Robertson moves to the top of the list. He closed last year for Phillies. 
he's a great acquisition. He was going to be a setup guy. Now he's thrown into a more serious uh, position. Adam Adovino, another potential uh, guy who would have been a setup guy who had a nice season last year with the Mets. Drew Smith, uh, up and coming. And then Brooks Raley, who they got from Tampa Bay, a lefty they could be. And Matt, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, there's the the two-pronged approach that can be taken here. You can either trade for someone like they're obviously we'll talk about that, yeah. saying, yeah, that they around the league, or you can, like you said, use the internal option like the Yankees use. I, I think the internal option could be okay for the Mets, but if I know Steve Cohen, they're probably going to go get someone. Yeah. But it depends. Yeah, I think, I think, look, I think it's weird timing. Like, you're, you're a few weeks before the season begins. I think you're going to start with the internal option. So, I think it's going to be Buck mixing and matching, you know, David Robertson, Adovino. When it's a lefty, Brooks Raley could come in. And a lot of teams, look, you look at the Phillies and the Dodgers as two examples. They don't have necessarily prime closers this year. So, they're going to be mixing and matching people in their bullpen. So, that's where we may end up now. The second part of this is that there are trade options and there are people that maybe not now, but maybe as the season goes along, the Mets look at. And I I just threw a list together of a few different guys. The first one is, uh, and I don't think he'd be right now, but the closer for Cincinnati is Edwin Diaz's brother, Alexis. So that could be a cool kind of thing. They get him, and then when Edwin comes back, he's he sort of he's like sort of a junior version of Edwin, not quite as good, but he's going to probably be the primary closer for Cincinnati. And if Cincinnati falls out of it by June or July, which is likely, that would be a great option. Someone like Daniel Bard, who's closed on Colorado, could be someone. Um, Scott Barlow is on Kansas City as their closer, and their setup man is a is Araldis Chapman, if you could believe that. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he's the, how the mighty have fallen. So he's uh, he's in it for another paycheck. But, like, you know, look, if if um, he, he has a good, you know, first half of season, it may be someone to bring in. Um, David Bednar from the Pirates, another team that will fall out. He had, like, 35 saves last year. And Alex Lang, who's the closer for the um, Detroit Tigers. So I think in summation, there are a lot of options. I think they're going to start with the internal options and then look to the trade market as things come up. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of options internally, a lot of options externally, but it's the Mets, this is imperative that they get the closer position filled. You need someone at the end of games who can really, like, like you know, as it says, close things out. But more importantly, I think Diaz did a lot for the morale of the team That's last right. year. And I think the trumpets and just the, the energy <laughs> he brought was was irreplaceable. But I think you can find a guy at least to be a makeshift option as the Mets make yeah, another I think they championship can, I think push. they can replace his, his production, but they can't necessarily replace his full value from the an theatrics. Entertainment, the entertainment center. We went to a game last year against Atlanta, which was like the perfect Met game where DeGrom pitched like the first seven. I think they brought Anavino in in the eighth, and then um, Diaz came in with the full theatrics. So uh, a little bit, just sort of like Mariano with his Enter Sandman. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. In terms of the Quintana thing, I think they already have David Peterson and Tyler McGill in the, in the wings as starting pitchers. I think 
you know, when, when you're in the early season in baseball, when the way they have all the days off and everything, um, it's not um, imperative to have, you know, an extra starting pitcher. So I think they'll get by on that. So we will keep an eye on the Mets. So in that situation now. We're also monitoring the Knicks, and we're actually recording this as the Knicks are playing Denver, and they're winning in the third quarter, although it's a very close game, and when we finish this, we will watch the end of it. Um, but the Knicks have been in an interesting place uh, the last week. They, they, they split their West Coast wo- road trip, which was a good achievement because the first two games weren't very good. But the, the game against Portland the other night was something very interesting. It just shows you how what a great move that Josh Hart thing was. Uh, Josh Hart, we looked at the, the box score after, Josh Hart had like a plus 27 as we're watching him win the Denver game make a beautiful steal. A plus 27 uh, rating and Cam Reddish had a negative 27 rating. Yeah, I think Josh Hart, the acquisition was great. He brings a lot of versatility, like I've said before. He brings rebounding, he brings defensive toughness, he brings hustle. A lot of intangibles you want in a, a Tom Thibodeau-led team. The, the Knicks West Coast road trip, I think, it, you get to this dog days of the season. That's it's right. late. Players get a little bit you know, not as focused. Brunson was battling some injuries. The fact that they split it I thought was impressive. They're playing well in this current uh, Denver game. So things things in March usually aren't looking good for the Knicks, but I could confidently say they're they're looking good for them right yeah, now. Yeah, I think they have to – you know, it's, it's interesting too. They have to set up for the playoffs now. And Brunson came back in the Denver game, which is good. But – you're going to have to watch guys' minutes as you get to the end of the season because it looks like the Knicks are going to be in. They're not. They're going to make the playoffs. They're not going to have to play in the play-in, so they'll have a few days off. But what you don't want to do is burn guys out at the end of the season. So there was like that Boston game a few weeks ago where they played. Everyone played like 50 minutes, and you can't do that in these last games. I don't think. I think they will probably end up in the four or five slots, so they're not going to have to be fighting necessarily for a playoff spot. That's exactly where I want them to end up. I mean, if they can go higher than that, then that's great. But realistically, they'll be in that four or five slot if things go to plan. And once again, it's not like you want to put guys in minutes restriction where they get too where they get too cold, where they like forget how to play. But you also don't want to play guys like 40, 50 minutes a night and kind of just have them go to full throttle. You need you need rest before the playoffs, and I think. For the Knicks, they, they want to make a run. They don't want to just be a one-and-done team. They want to really go go the distance this year, and I, and I think they have the ability to. So more to be seen from them. Yeah, it's interesting. So Cleveland would be the 4-5 series, and then Milwaukee seems like they're solidifying the top spot now, and Philadelphia might pass Boston for number two. That's It's interesting. I think the top of the East is very strong. I think the East is a lot better than the West this year. I think the yeah. West, even though Durant went to the Phoenix and there were some other movements, the East has really been good this year, and, and, and that's why I give more credit to the Knicks because yeah. the, the East top five or six has been extremely competitive. Yeah, so we will keep an eye on that as I think the Knicks are putting themselves in a good place and they're winning this game against Denver, which we hope we uh, will get to watch the end of and close it out. Um, the last piece, Matt, that we want to cover today, and we started talking about this last week, was the NCAAs and all the craziness. Fairly Dickinson and Princeton, two fine New Jersey institutions. So there's been a lot of craziness with the NCAA tournament. Let me Let me give a little story here. Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey, if you didn't know that fact, their biggest player is six foot six. Yep. 
it's crazy. You look at their roster, most N- Division One NCAA teams, seven-footers, they're actually, a, they were, or not a D2 school, that was actually another school. But the funny thing is they made the tournament, they didn't win their conference tournament, they didn't, they didn't win the Northeast Conference. Merrimack College won the Northeast Conference by one point against them. But Merrimack College is going from D2 to D1. So they they have to wait four years. (laughs) So fairly Dickinson made the tournament. Awesome fact. Uh, Two other great facts. Tobin Anderson, who is the coach of fairly Dickinson, was a Division II coach and brought a bunch of his players with him. There was a school in Rockland County. It was St. Thomas Aquinas. Brought a bunch of his players with him. Their best player is a five foot eight player named Dimitri Roberts. He went to Mount Vernon High School in Westchester for all those who live there. So a lot of really cool things. FDU is going to go on a run, I think. It's a great story. Uh, really hearing Tobin Anderson speak about the team was super awesome. Yeah, they've been a great story. We actually met we met the soccer coach from FDU also, if you know that. From, really? Yes, from a barbecue I'll tell you about. Um, but... Yeah, they, Princeton, also a great story, um, beating Arizona. I mean, if, if, you know, pools are just busted beyond belief. I don't think anyone has a perfect pool anymore. Zero, zero perfect brackets. Zero perfect brackets, because no one could pick this kind of stuff. I mean, you could pick one, but you can't pick all of these. And like we said, I think what it goes to is last week, we said there's the most parity ever in the NCAAs. The NCAAs really, there's a ton of parity. I think... It even just shows you that it, in picking these brackets is that the top teams, they're not as strong as you think. And and they're also not as strong as they used to be. You know, you have these guys, instead of going to Kentucky and North Carolina and Duke, they're going to the G League. So they're not even getting those one-and-done guys anymore. And it, and there's not that much of a physical advantage from a lot of – I mean, the, the FDU-Purdue thing is like 7-4 Zach Eady versus whatever 6-6 six, six right. guys. But – there's not like huge discrepancies anymore, which I think allows some of these mid-major schools to make up for. And you get the big equalizer, Dad. I don't know if you think this, the transfer portal. Yes. Because guys yes. can kind of shift around and, and whatnot. Yes. The transfer portal has made it sort of like NFL free agency. Yeah. All at once. So um, we will keep an eye on the NCAAs and we're going to keep an eye on this Knicks-Denver game. And it looks like with about six minutes left, the Knicks are winning and we hope so. So we're hoping by the time we, we – now people had asked why we didn't do an emergency podcast this week with Aaron Rodgers. There was no Aaron Rodgers finality to the deal. So we would have done that. Um, maybe we'll hear, hear something this week and by the time we get together next week, we'll have more definitive Aaron Rodgers news. We'll have more definitive answers on the uh, uh, Mets situation. Maybe they pick someone up in the interim. And we'll certainly have more uh, NCAA and Knicks news. So thanks again for joining us. Keep listening on Apple and Spotify. We love the feedback and comments. We love the five stars people have given us. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Thanks, everyone. All right.